Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 9th by Pastor Randy, titled, Teach Us to Pray, Part 1. All right, in Mark chapter 1, Mark tells us about the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And one of the first things that happens is that he goes to Capernaum, he goes to the synagogue, and he starts teaching. And people are amazed at his teaching. But then while he's teaching in the synagogue, in walks this demon-possessed guy. Well, Jesus casts the demon out. So now they're excited about this great teacher. They're excited to see him do something like cast out a demon. And then later on that afternoon, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house who is sick, and he heals her. So now the the news about Jesus is, is just going everywhere. It's just blowing up everywhere. And so that evening, everybody starts bringing the sick and the demon possessed of Jesus, and he starts just healing people. And this goes on the evening on to the night. And so this is what's happening. And I, Scott, I need this little thing. Okay. The pulpit's gone. I miss it. All right. So that's what's, ha- that's what's going on. And so this is what we read the next day. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon, his companions, searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. All right. So the very next day, he's taking care of it. You good? So the very next day, after this healing takes place, the disciples get up. They're looking for Jesus. They can't find him anywhere. They're looking. People are coming to the disciples saying, where's the teacher? Where's the teacher? Because just think of how everything's blown up now with him doing this amazing teaching in the synagogue, healing this guy, then healing everybody in the whole region. So now they're really excited. They're pumped up. Where is he? And they find Jesus, and he's doing what? He's praying. So here's what I want you to understand about this. Jesus' ministry is in the startup phase, just beginning. And anything that starts up, whether it's a band or a business or a nonprofit, whatever it is that starts up, what they decide in the early days, what's going to be their priority, what's, what's going to be their focus, that usually determines their success or failure as a startup. Startup business, ministry, band, whatever it is. And so right away, we see this tension at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. There's this tension. Is it going to be the crowd's reaction? Or is it going to be connection to his father? So there's this tension right there. So what's he going to do? What, what's most important? What's he going to clarify is what he's going to build his ministry around? The crowd reaction or the connection to his father? He chooses the connection to his father. So when the disciples find him, what's he's doing? He's praying. And what do they do? They interrupt him. They interrupt him because what they're thinking is that he's not doing anything productive. They're thinking Jesus' prayer life is like their prayer life. That a lot of times there's things more pressing, more practical, more productive than praying. Here's the truth we need to learn. 
If we don't regularly engage in prayer, we will drift toward the voices that are the loudest because we haven't heard what the Father has to say. See, Jesus' models for us is that prayer is an invitation to come and, and hear from God. Prayer is to come to hear the, the voice of your Heavenly Father, to get connected to Him. In fact, this was such a habit in Jesus' life that in John, Jesus makes this clear. He says, don't you know by now? Haven't you watched me enough by now? Haven't you seen the way I operate by now to know I don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it? I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. That's how connected Jesus was. That was his life. Now, we say prayer is important to us. But when theory meets practice, when that concept meets our calendar, what do we do so often? Prayer gets pushed aside, doesn't it? Because in our eyes, it's not that important. There are things more pressing than prayer. And here's what's going to happen as we start this series this morning. As we talk about prayer, what's going to happen is that, is that you're going to say to yourself, I ought to pray more. I feel guilty because I know I don't pray enough. If the only thing you feel is guilt, you're not getting it yet. Because feeling guilt is implying that somehow you're hurting God. If that's all you feel is guilt, you're implying that somehow God is a needy one. No, no, no. That's not it at all. We're the needy ones. We're the ones that lose. You should feel a lot more than just guilt if you don't have a prayer life. A meaningful prayer life. A connected prayer life. And if you don't pray as, as Jesus taught us to pray, as we'll be going through here in the next couple of weeks. So prayer was a strategy of Jesus. That's what he used as a foundation of his whole ministry was being connected to the Father. And prayer was a strategy of disciples after the resurrection. Okay. So Jesus is rose from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend to the Father. And here's his last words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Quite a task, isn't it? I could get Jerusalem, Judea, and maybe Samaria, but to the ends of the earth? They're understaffed. They're undermanned. How could they do something like this? They have no political influence. In fact, they don't have any influence whatsoever. And the next thing Jesus says is this, or the next thing that happens is this. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus says, here's my mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Bye. See ya. And so they're probably thinking, the disciples are probably thinking what we'd be thinking. Okay, what do we do now? There was something that's crossed your mind. What now? Sometimes we ask that after something bad happens, like a doctor's diagnosis. You know, he's told something that's not good, and you think to yourself, okay, what now? Marriage falls apart. Okay, what now? Lose your job. Okay, what now? Sometimes you ask that question when something good happens. Win the lottery. Okay, what now? You meet the man or woman of your dreams. Okay, what now? You know, your business quadruples. Okay, what now? That's when we often ask that question, is after something good happens, we, we ask the question, what now? 
So what do disciples do next when this happened? Whenever you find yourself in that, in that place in life where you ask, what now? Always a good answer is to pray. So here's what the disciples do. Now remember, these are disciples that when they first find Jesus praying at the beginning, they interrupt him and, and basically say, there's more, there's more important things you can do right now. Here's what, they, what happens. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So now they're praying. Not just praying, praying continually. That's a word for you. How does that describe, does that describe your prayer life? Continually? See, that's the difference between a person who prays and a praying person, isn't it? So here's what I, I want you to, to see is that the disciples went from prayer is not that important, from thinking Jesus' prayer life was kind of like theirs, to a people that were praying continually. So here's the question that we ask. What is it that made the early church a praying church? What changed? What made a difference? And what made a difference is that they began to see the world as Jesus saw it. They began to see that they were totally dependent upon God for it all, for everything. Totally dependent upon God. If I were to ask you, when was the last time you really prayed hard about something? It probably wasn't a good situation in your life. Because, see, we don't do most of our hard praying before meals and before we go to bed. We do our hard praying when our world falls apart. Then we go, God, I've got to have you. God, I'm really dependent upon you. But truth is, we depend upon God even if the world's falling apart or not. And most of the time, what's our attitude? Our attitude is this when it comes to praying in God. is that God, I've got this. I can handle life. I've been living, you know, for for a long time, I can handle If I need something, I'll let you know. And we think we can do it on our own. Nothing could be further from the truth. I've seen it a thousand times. As soon as your illusion of self-control is gone, you become a great prayer. Do you lose your job and six months later you still don't have a job? You become a big, great prayer at that point. Or you get that doctor's diagnosis and it doesn't look good for you or some loved one. They may not recover. If they do, it's going to be a long, hard recovery. You become a great prayer. Whenever our illusion of control is destroyed and how the universe operates actually becomes clear to us, then we begin to pray. Because then we learn that we are dependent upon God. See, we were dependent upon God for our health long before COVID came along. Our problem is, is that we have the spirit of independence because we have so much. And it makes us think we don't really depend upon God anymore. In Lord's Prayer, he says that part, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we have two loaves of bread in the freezer, a loaf of bread on the counter, and you've got to move the donuts and the Pop-Tarts out of the way to get that loaf of bread on the counter. You just don't pray with a spirit of dependence upon God at that point, do you? You're not praying, God, give me today my daily bread. You think, I've got this. I've got this covered. I can handle it. So the first thing, the reason Jesus and the early church prayed was that they recognized their dependence upon God. And the second thing, Jesus maintained a rhythm of prayer because it kept him connected to the Father and committed to his mission. 
connected to the Father and committed to the mission, and it does the same to us. So let me help you with this little formula. If you're not committed to God's mission, if you're not committed to making disciples, then it's probably because the connection is not there. Because commitment and connection are two sides of the same coin called prayer. So if one's not happening, then another's not going on. And if one's happening, usually the other's going on. Like I said, there are two sides of the same coin called prayer. So, we've looked at what happened at the beginning as far as the disciples seeing Jesus praying and thinking, you know, that, that's not really anything productive. There's things more pressing than, than that. We've seen it at the beginning, and we saw what they became. They became these great prayers at the end. Now, what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks is sort of what happened in the middle of all this. Because in the middle of all this, the disciples begin to make the connection. Jesus' prayer life and him accomplishing great things. Jesus' prayer life and him being able to heal people. Jesus' prayer life and him knowing exactly what to say and when to say it. They begin to make that connection. So this is what we read in Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, oh, they're not interrupting him anymore. Now that God says, they let him finish. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So the, the question to Jesus is, seeing their prayer life is not, or seeing Jesus' life is not Jesus teaches how to do miracles, Jesus teaches how to teach, it's teach us how to pray. So, that's a long way from Mark 1. This is a great question to ask. When they say teach us how to pray, what's the assumption? We're obviously doing it wrong. They were taught how to pray since they were kids. Just like our kids are, are taught to pray. They were taught how to pray. They've been praying their, most, their adult lives, but they recognize we must be doing it wrong. Now, what if you're in one of our small groups and, and, and you led in prayer and I came up to you after you led in prayer and go, I just need to tell you this. When you prayed, you're doing it wrong. Wouldn't go over real well, would it? You would be a lot of things. But what if you came up after me or came up after the meeting and came up to me and said, Randy, could you help me learn how to pray? You're in a different attitude, right? Now you're more open. Now you're ready to, to be taught. Every year, in that couple of weeks' time when, when I go fishing, I take people with me to, to go fishing, usually people who've never fished before, and I teach them how to catch reds on the Kenai River. World-class river. People come from all over to fish there. But I tell you what, a lot of people have no idea what they're doing. 
And so people would come to me, and, and I will come out, and, and, and the girls that are there, you know, I can teach them, and they're paying attention. Sometimes it's just a little bit trouble with, with coordination or strength to do some of those things, but they pretty much do pretty good. The guys, on the other hand, they're completely different. The guys, some of them that, that, that they're humble and really want to learn, they catch on to it, and they do a great job right away. But there's this other group of guys. Listen, I've been doing this for years. I've learned this. And after just a little bit, they think, I've got this. And so because when you're combat fishing or whatever, you may not be that close together, they're down just a little ways. And after I've caught my 10th fish or well, whatever the limit is that day, okay. Uh, well, after I've caught that and they haven't caught anything, then they turn to me and say, what am I doing wrong? Now we're ready to go. Now we can make some adjustments. Now you've humbled yourself enough to know, because here's what they come, I've been fishing my whole life, I've, but yeah, but fishing is different in Alaska than it is anywhere else, okay? Uh, I've fished all over, I promise you, it's different than anywhere else. And so once they, 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 they get through their head that maybe, maybe they, they do need to learn a few things here, that the fish is not just going to jump on their hook, they're ready. Back about, I don't know, four or five years ago, down at Bing's Landing. And, and, and so I'm there. I'm there early. I got my spot because I want to be gone before all the fishermen get in. And I get there, and I'm catching my fish. And, and they're just fishing down for me, these guys, because we talked together. They're from east somewhere, I don't know, Maine, some, somewhere just back in the east and on the east coast. And, and they're not doing real well catching fish and so I just casually go to one I said your your lead is just a little bit short because I didn't want to you know tell him and come off as as being arrogant <laughs> uh, which is what I do, usually do when I'm fishing but uh, I didn't it's too much that but uh, so I just made the, just a slight statement like that and then he goes, what do I need to do? He starts asking questions. So I tell him exactly what he needs to do. And all of a sudden, he starts catching fish. About two years, they weren't there this past because of the COVID and everything. Uh, they weren't there. Didn't see them there because they always fish the same spot. They've been coming there for years. It was two years ago that, that they're there. And, they're and I didn't recognize his face or anything. And, and turning him saying hi, he goes, I know you. You're the guy that taught me to fish. Why? Because he was ready to listen. So the disciples come and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. But notice what Jesus does. Because we see this in, in Luke chapter 11. He goes to the Lord's Prayer. But you go back to Matthew, and before Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he teaches them things that they need to unlearn. Because sometimes before you can learn something, you have to earn, unlearn something. It's like if you did come to me, there's no reason why you'd come to me and say, Randy, help me with my, with my batting. I'm on a softball league, a midnight softball league or something this summer. Teach me how to bat. And so you grab the bat and you grab it like this. And you say, like I said, no, no, the first thing you need to do is put your grip. You need to put your hands together. We need to change your grip. See, some things you have to unlearn. And then we need to get your, you know, your stance right, your feet far apart, you know, and get the right stance. There are some things you need to unlearn before you can learn something. Now, with all that being said, can we, as a church, just humble ourselves for these next 
four weeks coming up or three or four, whatever it's going to be, three or four weeks coming up and say, maybe there's some things that I don't know that I need to learn about prayer. Is that possible? That maybe we can do that. Maybe there's some things that we need to unlearn. Because things about prayer, people just, it's wrong. A lot of people, when they pray, they're more concerned about what people think you hear them pray than about what they're praying. That's just wrong. Some people, when they pray, it's all about them. Here's what James says about that. He says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with your own motives so you may spend it on your own pleasures. Some people do that. So there are some things that we do that are just wrong. So Jesus, before he tells him what to do, he's, go, he's going to tell him what you've got to stop doing. So this is what he says in Matthew 6, 5. This is after disciples come and said, teach us how to pray. Jesus saying, let me tell you what not to do first. He says this, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in a synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So the first thing he tells us not to do is don't try to impress people by the way you pray. See, Jesus didn't like hypocrites, did he? He didn't like them at all. He was always pulling their mask off. And so what he's saying here is that people who pray in order to be seen by people, what's their reward? Whenever somebody goes, oh, that was a great prayer. That's it. That's all they're getting. The recognition of other people. So he says, don't pray like that. Next, in verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, part of your prayer life has to be private. Now, don't think it all has to be that way. Because even when Jesus is about to teach, he says, Our Father, in Acts, we see the disciples pray. They're all together praying. So it doesn't all that way, but some of your prayer life needs to be private. Because sometimes when you're in a group of people, you can just be going through the motions. But nobody goes through the motions when they're all by themselves. Nobody goes into a closet, closes the door, gets down on their knees in order to pretend doesn't happen. And so what's your reward? Let's back up. What's the reward? And your heavenly father who? See, yes. Y'all are slow, but you're there. Who sees you? Here's the parallel. Back in the last verse, you pray in order to be seen by people. But here... When you pray, he goes, he sees you. How much stress would be gone from your life if you knew that the Heavenly Father knew what you were going through? Even if God came to you and said, look, I'm not going to do anything about your situation because in my sovereignty, I'm, I'm letting you go through the situation. But I just want you to know that I know what's going on in your life. When you go to the unseen place and you pray to the unseen Father, He sees you. There's something very reassuring about that. To know that He sees you. And then the other thing He tells us not to do. 
When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. There's nothing wrong with long prayers. Just know because you pray a long prayer, that doesn't increase your chances of God doing anything about your prayer. And there's nothing wrong with, with heartfelt repetition, but there's something wrong with meaningless repetition. Let me put it to you this way. Let, let's put this in today's language. Nobody likes to get near a person who won't shut up. And they just keep talking. And all they do is talk and talk and talk and talk about themselves. They don't let you talk because they don't want to know what you think. They just want you to hear what they think. When prayer should be about surrender, it should be about faith, not just telling God all the things you want to hear, never shutting up. He says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Hmm. He knows what we need before we ask. Now, that's one you got to think about. Because here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is going to say, pray. But no, your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, even before you pray. Pray. But know that some things you're going to ask for, your Father's not going to give you no matter what. Pray. And there are some things, even if you don't ask, your Father's going to do for you anyway. But Pray. You know, it should not bother us the fact that God already knows our needs before we ask. Because if you have to inform God, is he really God? So, here's the question I want to ask you. Our natural response to he knows what we need before we ask is what? Why pray? Right? If that is your response when Jesus says your Heavenly Father already needs, know exactly what you need before you ask. If your response is why pray, you don't know what prayer is about. If that's the way you view things, you're not sure what prayer is really about. Because prayer is not to inform God. See, that's what we think prayer is about. We need to inform God in our prayers. God, Reggie is such a jerk at work. You know, I just can't, it's hard for me to even be around. He's such a jerk. And God says, I know about Reggie. I know he's a jerk. I didn't make him a jerk. But I, I formed him in his, his mother's rooms. I know exactly who he is and what he's doing. But do you know he's had to declare bankruptcy? His wife's left him. He's got low self-esteem. No, God, I didn't know that. See, a lot of times we think we're informing God. You don't have to tell God all that. You can just say, Reggie, he knows everything. You can just say, my job thing, he already knows what's going on. Now, I'm being fictitious here. But let me put this, that's what we do in our prayers. That's how we treat God. Like We just have to inform him. God, here's my list of everything I want, everything I need in my life. Here it is. I'm going to be over here watching TV now. I gave you my list. I'm gone. I don't go out and go on vacation now. It's time for me to go hiking now. It's time for, for me to, to get outdoors now. So here's my list. I'm out of here. We don't pray to inform God. We don't pray to impress God. We pray why? To be with Him. To hear from Him. That's our relational life. It comes through prayer. That communing relationship with Him. We pray to join Him in His agenda. Yes, you can inform God. You can give Him a list. There's nothing 
wrong about giving him a list. But if that's all your prayer life is, God, here's my list, and you don't want to just be with him, you don't want to just get connected to him, Remember what Jesus said, I don't do anything, I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it, unless I see my Father do it. In other words, I'm so connected to Him. That's a long way from the disciples coming up and interrupting Jesus while He's praying because they think that there's nothing going on there, nothing pressing, nothing practical going on that there's nothing productive in that and because that's the way disciples prayer life was they thought that was Jesus prayer life and the sad thing is that's our prayer life a lot of times we just on a run just give something to Jesus and if something else comes up it pushes prayer right out of the way oh sorry don't have time now my time's up I gotta go and we, it's sometimes, whenever pastor gets up and talks about prayer, we'll feel guilty. Oh, I should pray more. And if all you feel about prayer is guilt, if all you think about God when he says he already knows what you need is why pray, then we need to learn to pray. We need to humble ourselves and go to God and say, God, what am I doing wrong? Because there has to be more to it than this. There is more to it for Jesus. There has to be more to it for this in my life. I'm missing something. Because you see, if we're not committed to the mission, well, I can't point back to the poster anymore. It's gone. But if we're not committed to, 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 to having a one, to discipling people, I promise you that connection is not going on. So as much as you would like to find ways to wiggle out of this and go, you know, I'm doing okay. I know how to pray. As much as you would want to say, okay, like those people who are fishing, you know, I think I've got it down pretty well, but you still, you're, you're missing it. And that's where so many of us are today. We're not committed to his mission or any other because we're missing that connection. So I'm urging I'm urging you, as we go through this, can you just humble yourself enough to go, you know, I need to learn how to pray. I'm obviously not doing it right. Because all I do with God is give Him my list. I'm obviously not doing something right. I'm not communing with Him. I'm not hearing from Him. I'm not just taking that time and bonding with Him. Can we do that for the next few weeks? And as we learn that we are completely dependent upon Him, let that drive us to come and pray. Oh, may our eyes be open to how the world works. Jesus knew how it worked. That's why He was always going around and spending His time in prayer. He knew how it worked. May our eyes be open so that we know how the world works. So that even when our pantry is full, even when the job is good and the income is good, we still go to God and say, God, I am so dependent upon you. We don't act like we've got it. That we're under control. 
We don't act like, okay, Father, if I need you, I'll let you know. That when we're, we're doing our hard praying, it's not when things are going wrong. But we're doing hard praying because we want to go to God and go, God, what's next? What do I do now? And we're praying to God hard constantly because we want to know what He wants us to do next. Can that be us? Can that be us? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.